We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. Word of wisdom, which is really weird, and I thought it was really weird in the. Well, it's we know it was a gradual thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In even more, in even in saints, I think it was saints, or it was Keith Erickson who said that even all the way up into the Salt Lake Valley, we were hitting this, you know, still doing certain things. Yeah, the so the whole section eighty nine is basically brought about by they were having meetings and of a lot of the brethren and they were smoking and they were chewing tobacco and it was kind of creating a mess in the room and i guess it was emma that was going up to clean up the mess and she was kind of like <laughs> joseph what the heck man <laughs> like, what is all this nonsense and what do i got to clean this up and you know this is really gross <laughs> i can just imagine that conversation she's like coming back with you know, rags or whatever, and she's like, uh, look at this. And it kind of caused him to ask questions. And it's one of these really good examples of times when a situation came up in just regular life that caused the prophet to ask a question about it to the Lord. Hey, what about this stuff? And what should we do? I've been pondering about it, and I want to ask the Lord. And then the Lord gives him probably more than he ever intended to ask about, right? Uh, I just want to know, should is this something we should be doing, or how, how do we do this? Well, here's a word of wisdom. For the benefit of the Council of High Priests assembled in Kirtland, and also, by extension, to all of us. Um, and it's really interesting, because in verse 3, <clears throat> we get the, the title for this lesson, Given for a Principle with Promise adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints. To me, that's like, this isn't even that demanding of a thing that I'm giving you. It's basically adapted to the weakest, so everyone should be able to handle this, you know? Uh, this is the, the least common denominator. And it's a lot of common sense stuff. Um, there's nothing in here that's like, when you eat watermelon, make sure it's fully skinned before eating you know it's like nothing weird about this stuff it's a lot of like okay yeah that makes sense and a lot of it was being discussed in uh science at the time and they're in social movements for temperance for lack you know uh abstinence from drinking alcohol was a popular thing at the time especially in, in christian movements so this wasn't something that was really all that radical to most people um it's a lot of lessons on moderation about avoiding bad things and it's a little more complicated to balance it, like it's easy to avoid bad things to say i know these things are bad i'm not going to touch them but the lord's also teaching us hey 
you also need to balance the good things in their time, in their quantity, and in their season. And that, I think, is the hard part of this. Um, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, alcohol is bad. Smoking is bad. Clearly, you know, we know from science now that smoking causes cancer and a whole bunch of other things. And drinking, you know, drunk driving and all the negative effects of not being able to control your body. Um, but even saying, here's some good things that you need to kind of figure out how to control better. That's the hard part. I think that's the part that will challenge most people from the word of wisdom. Not, you know, you can't drink coffee and tea, but also, like, what what are the things that aren't mentioned here that you also probably ought to consider controlling? I think that, that kind of becomes the challenge part. So for me, I I really like this pattern because it's not the first time the Lord has given people a pattern for sometimes what to eat, what not to eat. That's practical to their time. You know, the Israelites were given some very specific laws on cleanliness and partaking of substance, animals to avoid, things like that. And just like the word of wisdom to us, it's kind of a very similar thing. You know, the Lord telling us some practical things and you know where, where it says at the beginning he says um in verse four where he says behold verily thus saith the lord unto you in consequences of evils and designs which do and will exist in the hearts of conspiring men in the last days i have warned you and forewarned you by giving you this word of wisdom by revelation and so he's also saying there's something beyond the substances whether they be good or bad, but they will also be used to manipulate you. Right. So to avoid this manipulation and these these um, troubles that you can fall into. And, and we look at our life. I mean, look at, about how popular it was to smoke for a time. You know, and there were things like literal billboards that say you're not a man unless you're a Marlboro man. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, things like this. And things that have been, even in our day, I mean, we have other things that have creeped up. We have certain, um, it may not be, you know, cigarette smoking has become fairly not popular anymore. It's not popular in some parts, but for the most part, I think the majority of people, the next thing is like sugary smokes or vapes, you know, and, and, and other things. And anything that tries to sell you an image or a shortcut by something where they exploit you for money at the cost of your health should be something you should be concerned about. And it's not just these things. There's many things. I mean, the way we eat, how much we eat, you know, what do we do with, you know, are we self-medicating with food or, or with other substances? Is it, you know, there's illicit drugs and then there's prescription drugs and there's over-the-counter drugs and then there's, you know, in all of these can be abused in one way or another, you know? Um, and so I, just one thing I thought was really interesting was I was looking at the um, standards for youth pamphlet, you know? And I thought, well, how do we, um, how do we then apply the word of wisdom for them in their time? It was common and they had to, I mean, in the saints time and Joseph Smith and Brigham Young time, they had to gradually move away from these substances, you know. Um, and there's a section in the standards for the youth that says physical and emotional health. And it 
and it's quoting verse 18 and 19, which says, All saints who remember to keep and do these things shall receive health in their navel, marrow in their bones, shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge. And then just the beginning of, I'm, I'm going to read this section. It says, Your body is a temple, a gift from God. You will be blessed as you care for your body. Choose to obey the word of wisdom. When you're obedient to this law, you remain free from harmful addictions and have control over your life. You gain blessings of a healthy body, an alert mind, and the guidance of the Holy Ghost. You will prepare to serve the Lord. Never let Satan and others deceive you into thinking that breaking the word of wisdom will make you happier, more popular, and more attractive. To take care of your body, eat nutritious food, exercise regularly, and get enough sleep. Practice balance and moderation in all aspects of your physical health. Also avoid extremes in diets that can lead to eating disorders. Do not intentionally harm your body. Avoid dangerous activities that put your body at risk of serious injury. Do not drink coffee or tea. Never use alcohol, uh, tobacco products of any form or any form of alcohol. They are addictive and harmful for your body and spirit. Being under the influence of alcohol weakens your judgment and self-control. Drinking can lead to alcoholism, which destroys individuals and families. Avoid any drink, drug, chemical, or dangerous practice that is used to produce a high or other artificial effects that may harm your body and mind. Some of these include marijuana, hard drugs, prescriptions over-the-counter medications that are abused, and household chemicals. Use of these substances can lead to addictions, can destroy your mind and your body. Addictions harm your body, mental, physical, and emotional, and spiritual well-being. They damage relationships with family and friends and diminish your feeling of self-worth. They limit your ability to make choices for yourself. If you are struggling with any type of addiction, seek help from your parents and your bishop now. Your emotional health is also important and may affect your spiritual and physical well-being. Disappointment and occasional sadness are part of this mortal life. However, if you have prolonged feelings of sadness, hopelessness, anxiety, and depression, talk to your parents and your bishop and seek help. In all aspects of your life, seek healthy solutions to problems. Do all you can to safeguard your physical and emotional health so that you can fulfill your divine potential as a son or daughter of God, you know? And I thought, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Mm -hmm. But it's it's even the brethren have taken the principles in the word of wisdom and given us even further revelation of how they apply to us right now, you know? Because I'm not saying that this is outdated. This was very meaningful to the saints and the principles are true. But even modern revelation has taken that further to include our mental well-being, you know, to include the one that was interesting in that guidance was also putting your body in situations where it could be at risk, you know. So it's not just consumption of things. It's also how we treat our body, you know, how we do we take do we take unnecessary risks with it, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like here's here's the the stuff in the scripture but the underlying message here is a message of still once again protecting your agency don't take into things take things into your body that are going to cause you to relinquish your agency if you're under the influence of a chemical substance of some kind uh, you don't have judgment or you don't have complete control or it's just an addiction where you can't not have it. You now you, you've relinquished part of your freedom to choose. And 
the Lord has is like, we fought a war in heaven for that, right? <laughs> uh, don't give it up for coffee. Don't give it up for soda. Don't give it up for apples. You know, don't give, it doesn't matter what it is really, but just like, don't give up that agency because you have to have something or um, because your diet is so unhealthy that you can't, your body is unhealthy and doesn't function well. How can you serve the Lord if you're not taking care of yourself too? Yeah. That's, that's a huge principle. So here's a weird thought. <laughs> I think addictions are a problem because of all the issues that come along with addictions. But I think they also are challenging. The timing of when you're doing something is totally off. This isn't the time to be doing that action. This isn't the time to be doing this. And I think sometimes we want an outcome so much that we don't prepare for that outcome. We try to take a shortcut. And and I've seen this in individuals who they work really hard, you know, and they want to do certain things and then they're popping energy drinks every other you know every morning or 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 high amounts of caffeine and other ways besides coffee you know and i don't think you drink a cup of coffee or something in let's say you're barred from heaven you know i think our ability to plan and use the talents we are given and learn to manage what we have to to, to work it is part of the experience we need to learn. You know, for example, you know, I'm I'm not trying to call out any habits or anything here, but but if there are things that you need that that could be done a different way <laughs> if you would have prepared, then you don't need these things, you know, and, and some of it is, you know, a lot of alcohol is consumed to have a good time, you know? Very little alcohol is consumed. I'm about to study. So I'm gonna down these two beers so it helps me, you know, ease in my studies and make them enjoyable. No, that's not gonna give you, but it's more like, hey, I wanna forget my problems or I want to have a, a lot of time and a fun time. I'm gonna drink these things, alter my state of mind. Okay, so be it. But if we live in a life where that becomes our pattern, where we're altering states of mind as opposed to seeking how to how to do those things naturally or how to how to plan our life in such a way where at at the end of the week I need to not feel like myself at all in order to have happiness, then maybe to me just the way i view it is maybe that's an indicator that we need to change our life entirely you know that there's maybe bigger things that we need to address um you know and i'm only speaking in the sense just from the principle that i have noticed and i've seen and i myself people try to have escapes you know for me like for a time it was like video games i would escape my responsibilities with video games that itself was a mental addiction. At what cost does it come? Is it the cost of doing your job correctly? You know, taking care of your home. You know, doing the things you need to do. I think. Other, uh, okay. It, you know, it's not a, it's not meant to be a detailed list. This section isn't meant to be a detailed list of do's and don'ts. It's like I was saying, it's an illustration 
the Lord wants us to be mindful of what we take into our bodies. And like you were saying, how we use our bodies. And it wasn't like they got this revelation. They said, okay, now we know exactly what we need to do. And we're all going to do it exactly the same way. Some people still used tea and coffee and even alcohol as like medicinal drinks. And Joseph Smith and other leaders did that. Uh, there's record of Emma Smith giving coffee to travelers that arrived to visit them. The, the reason we don't like use the, wine for the sacrament has nothing to do with it, this. Right. It has more to do with, hey, you're going through a lot of trouble to get this wine. Be, your enemies might try to poison you. <laughs> so just use water. You know, it was just a practical thing, right? Yeah. And I mean, the pioneers, some of the pioneers drank coffee while crossing the plains. So it wasn't like it was, number one, it's not a commandment uh, at this point. And it even says at the beginning, not by commandment or constraint, but by revelation and the word of wisdom. The idea was that they were, uh, for a lot of the, you know, the uses of these things as like medicinal purposes or whatever, um, they felt okay doing that because the idea was that they weren't using them in excess or creating an addiction, right? Um, the prophet wasn't, you know, going around a drunkard. He wasn't drinking coffee and tea left and right just to keep his energy levels up. It was like he would have, he. there's like a record of him having some wine with somebody who came to visit. And it was almost like, you know, for for this sacred or special occasion, type of thing and it's and it's interesting because a lot of times we're like wait what does this myth did this and we're not allowed to how does that work and there were there were questions about that what do we do when someone doesn't follow the word of wisdom back then uh should there be a punishment for this because it, it wasn't a commandment so what do we do if someone is is not following the principles here maybe they are drinking excessively or whatever and like how do we follow follow up on that and all of it became formalized later with further revelation, including even as of 2019, there was a revelation about green tea and iced coffee and recreational marijuana, where it was like, hey, just so you know, in case there's confusion about this, these are also not recommended by the word of wisdom. So it's one of those things that while there are certain things that are clear and that through further revelation, including it doesn't ever mention here in, in Section 89 anything about coffee or tea. Um, in July of 1833, people came and were like, so what does it mean by hot drinks? You know, and Joseph asked and then got the revelation that it was specifically referring to coffee and tea. And so as we've gotten more knowledge and as it became more formalized and kind of like, here's the core things that you can't have. In order to be worthy to go to the temple, you can't be drinking alcohol. There's also a lot of things that aren't mentioned. Um, a lot of things like that we know are unhealthy. Excessive sugar consumption is not necessarily healthy for your body. Doesn't say anything about that. And the, the brethren haven't come out and said, hey, don't eat sugar. But it's like that's where the word of wisdom comes in. Like, you know yourself. You know your tendencies. You know your body. Maybe for you, you're allergic to celery. Don't eat it then, you know, or you have an adverse reaction to wheat. Don't eat it then, you know, like. Be smart about what you're taking in. I think, like you said, when when individuals, this, this is something that's so obvious to see at times if somebody's doing or not doing. So our initial reaction is like, what do we do if we see our counselor in Starbucks? What do we do if we do this? And it's like we do what we would do with every other commandment. 
we're not in the business of like, hey, did you just lie? Hey, everybody, come over here. Steve just lied. What are we <laughs> going to do about this? There's, like you said, everybody has different health and and it's a lot to help you be prudent, you know. I like how there's also mentions here, you know, in verse 10, you know, every wholesome herb, you know, <clears throat> is a wholesome herb, you know. Well, you need to figure that out, you know. Uh, every herb in the season, every fruit in the season, you know. Uh, there's prudence in thanksgiving, the flesh of the beasts, of the fowls of the air, to be used sparingly, uh, pleasing unto me that should not be used only in times of winter or cold. So it's like not indiscriminately do you, you know, do you take a hobby of just slaughtering every beast you come across. There's there's something there's like an underlying theme in this section about balance. Having balance, you know, all the grain, you know, it's good for you. So, hey, I'm allergic to gluten. What do I do? I eat grain anyway and have faith that the Lord, he said it in the scripture, right? No, you know, we have to have faith and we have to have works. We have to use judgment. You know, we can't, you know, I, I look at an example like we, the famous story of, of Joseph when he's having his leg surgery and the doctor wants him to drink some liquor of some sort to help with the pain and he says no i won't do it and it's like does that mean when i go get my appendix out i tell the doctor don't give me any anesthesia please <laughs> you know i'm going to toughen this out you, you know there's it's a it's a Just give me a leather strap to bite on <laughs> yeah it, it's really something that we can dangerously take it to an extreme but if you're going to do that be sure you do the whole enchilada you know yeah. Don't be calling people out for their caffeine soda, uh, you know, and you're pounding down seven pizzas, you know. Don't be, you know, talking to people about, you know, not eating meat and you haven't ran 10 feet in the two years, you know. Like, there's exercise, there's mental, there's things. And it's something that we, it's our body, hence we have to be good stewards and find and use this as a, like, what are the guiding principles here? to take care of my health, to show gratitude, to express that my body is a temple, you know? And I, I like that metaphor because I look at how wise the church has been in all the temples around the world are different, yet they're all temples. Yet the principles and the ordinances and what's governed and what happens, it's all the same, but they all look differently and they have different layouts, you know? And I think about that when it comes to our bodies, our bodies are all different. To some, we needed to reinforce the foundation over here and get this building up and move this waterway and, and bring in gravel for the, to this one, we needed to spread it out or this one we can only build vertically because that's the only plot of land we have. You know, they're all temples, you know, and I think we have to, the, the, the word of wisdom gets in a lot of trouble when it becomes a word of comparison. Another little story, President Uchtdorf, he gave a talk in General Conference called Continuing Peace in Patience, Continuing Patience. And he talks about um, when he was a fighter pilot, they, he says, I remember when I was preparing to be a trained, to be trained as a fighter pilot. We spent a great deal in, of our preliminary military training in physical exercise. 
it's still not exactly sure why endless running was considered such an essential preparatory part of becoming a pilot. Nevertheless, we ran and we ran and we ran some more. As I was running, I began to notice something that frankly troubled me. Time again, I was being passed by men who smoked, drank, and did all manner of things that were contrary to the gospel, in particular to the word of wisdom. I remember thinking, wait a minute, aren't I supposed to be able to run and not be weary? But I was weary, and I was overtaken by people who were definitely not following the word of wisdom. I confess, it troubled me at the time. I asked myself, was the promise true or was it not? The answer didn't come immediately, but eventually I learned that God's promises are not always fulfilled as quickly as or in the way we might hope. They come according to his timing and in his ways. Years later, I could see clear evidence of the temporal blessings that come to those who obey the word of wisdom. In addition to the spiritual blessings that come immediately from obeying any of God's laws. Looking back, I know for sure that the promises of the Lord, if perhaps may not be swift, are always certain. I like that story. <laughs> Even if it's not physical performance, even if it's just social involvement, social engagement, there are a lot of people that their friends drink and they get together and they drink and you might feel like really strange being there or feel even left out when they're talking about, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go to the bar and feeling like, gosh, I'm losing out on time with my friends or they're looking at me and they treat me differently because I'm not participating. But the promises are still there. And the, the truth is that those blessings will come. The destroying angel will pass you by. Something, this is kind of not really all that deep, but um, in verse 17, it kind of lists out these things. And I was really confused by this when I read it this time around. Um, it says, nevertheless, wheat for man and corn for the ox and oats for the horse and rye for the fowls and for the swine. And for all beasts of the field and barley for all useful animals and for mild drinks and also other grain. And I was like, I've never really paid attention to that. Why is it saying certain things are for certain animals? You know, <laughs> like, what's that about? Am I not supposed to be eating corn? You know, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I looked at it and it's actually in verse 14. There's a little uh, footnote under the on the word grain. And so I clicked on that and there's a. Uh, section about you know Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were offered food from King Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, "Oh, we can't eat that." And um, they were like, "Well, you have to eat this." And they said, "No, we we actually don't eat that. It's against our religion." But I'll tell you what, put us against your best, young, healthiest people, and let us eat our diet, and let them eat their diet, and after a certain time period, we'll look and see who's healthier. And it, it said in there that they were given pulse. And I was like, what the heck is pulse? And apparently it's basically fruit and vegetables and greens. And so, yeah, they went. And, of course, the story is that they they went after a while, went back and looked at them. And the Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a lot healthier. And uh, the king was like, huh, interesting. But also under that footnote for green is... Uh, a link to uh, the Bible dictionary about corn. And it says seven different words in Hebrew and three in Greek have been translated as corn in the King James Version. Seven different words mean corn? You know? <laughs> um, 
Their words referring to the cereal grains used for foods such as wheat or barley. Corn in the English refers to the cereal grains most common in a given region, such as wheat in England, oats in Ireland and Scotland, or maize in Australia, Canada, and the United States. Thus, ears of corn in the English of the King James Version would be called heads of grain in the United States. Indian corn or maize was known and used only in the Western Hemisphere prior to the discovery of America. It is not the corn of the Bible. So that's just kind of an interesting thing where it's like, starts talking about specific grains. It's not saying don't eat corn, that's only for oxen, right? What it's saying is that there, there should be different things given to different animals for different reasons, and including us. Like, I think that variety is also good. If you're eating fruits and vegetables and grains, but you're only eating like two or three different kinds, that's not as healthy as eating a variety. Yeah. And so that's kind of what it's, I think, what it's getting at. But I was just kind of puzzled by, by that specific list. Yeah, I, I think just like how you said that maybe it's just an example to say, you know, there are different needs for different species and that's okay. It, you know, sometimes we think, <laughs> um, well, I would, I, I, I think there's examples of people that are visiting and traveling and they go in the woods there's a mushroom in North America that's very poisonous that resembles a mushroom that's really delicious and good in Asia. And I forget the name of it. And every once in a while, there's a tourist and they're hiking and they come across it and they eat it and they get sick and stuff. There's, I don't know, there's a lot of like institutional knowledge in how we eat and cultures eat. But the Lord is saying the principle is that you all need to eat well have variety use what's in season don't overdo it make sure it doesn't become a tool for people that are conspiring to control you or influence you needlessly you know i i've often thought where it says in verse three given a principle with promise adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints i wonder if that's applicable to all commandments that the lord doesn't give us a commandment like, you know, First Nephi 3.7, without the ability to carry it out. Well, that would be pretty pointless, right? To be like, here's a commandment. I know you'll never be able to fulfill this, but here's a commandment anyway. Good luck. Like, yeah. that, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't serve any purpose. Like, everything that he tells us to do, we're capable of. It's the same thing, like, he doesn't give us any challenges that we can't overcome. Um, there are no trials that he gives us that we're not capable of overcoming. Same principle. What would be the point of that? Here's a challenge. I know you can't possibly overcome this, so you're probably going to fail miserably. Have fun with that. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so section 90. Uh, this is interesting because it's talking about the establishment of the first presidency in formal terms. Like, actually, here's the people who are going to be in the first presidency, and here's what they're going to be doing. And uh, talking about keys, especially. Um, keys of the kingdom given unto you, which kingdom is coming forth for the last time in verse two. Verily, in verse three, verily I say unto you, the keys of this kingdom shall never be taken from you while thou art in the world, neither in the world to come. And it's this is so important because it's the first time really that we're establishing that these keys will be distributed somewhat, that they won't only be held by the prophet and only him forever. He has them, but also others will have keys uh, to carry out the priesthood. And um, 
in verse 5, it says, And all they who receive the oracles of God, let them beware of how they hold them, lest they are accounted as a light thing, and are brought under condemnation thereby, and stumble and fall when the storms descend, and the winds blow, and the rains descend, and beat upon their house. That's a pretty interesting warning. Uh, because he's basically saying this will happen, right? If you hold keys and you're a righteous person, um, you can expect that you will face trials that will challenge your very ability to stay faithful. Take what you're doing seriously. Take your calling seriously. Treat those keys with the respect that they deserve. Because he says, you know, they're not a light thing. Don't treat them as a light thing. Because things are going to come your way. Satan is going to try and do whatever he can to take out all of us, right? But especially those who have keys. Because if those people uh, fall, then it looks even worse. Then it makes, it brings into, it's more likely that more people will fall. And so he's saying, you know, like, hey, if you're going to carry these keys, if you're going to have these priesthood keys, be aware that you have to, you have to stay strong, that things are going to happen that will test you. And I found that interesting because a lot of times we think, oh, so-and-so, they've reached a position in the church where they hold keys. They must be past all that. Or the prophet doesn't have to deal with that stuff. He's, he's beyond that. No, he's not. He's absolutely not. He deals with that stuff on a daily basis where people are attacking him and ridiculing him and, and trying to discredit him on a regular basis, more than you and I will ever have to face. And so, you know, it's the Lord saying, hey, just so you know, this is going to happen. Be ready. Yeah, I I like how President Hinckley, he talks about when he was, I think he was the third counselor in the, in the first presidency because everyone else was sick and had yeah. poor health. And he talks about having authority but not having the keys. We always have agency. Righteousness doesn't continue to a point where you don't have agency, where you automatically do the right thing all the time. Like, I think agency is an eternal principle. And even in the Book of Mormon, Truman G. Maxson, he talks about the fact that in the Book of Mormon, it tells us that it even implies that God could cease to be God hmm. if he were to rob justice or to not do what he should do, you know, that, that you can fall from grace. And I think we... The lesson in all of that is that our choices continue to matter always. They will always matter. And we'll always have choice. And because there is a temptation that when we we think we, we gain a certain status or we gain enough knowledge or we study something so much that now we 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 are absolved of having accountability and choice because we're we're impenetrable or it's important that we are very careful and watchful and will be accountable for what we do so many times in book of mormon these prophets saying you know hey i i am doing this so your sins don't come upon my head so i wash my garment clean you know i i and even i think it was mormon or i said i shake my garments in front of you i've told you this so much the other verse i thought was awesome which I think the Lord is always, with great responsibility, he tends to give you great promise. Like, this is to what end this is headed, is verse 11, you know, where he says, For it shall come to pass in that day that every man shall hear the fullness of the gospel in his own tongue and in his own language, through those who are ordained unto this power by the administering 
administration of the Comforter set forth unto them for the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because Joseph Smith and the brethren, this is like the first presidency, right? They, they're being given counsel, they're giving, being given authority, but they're also telling them this, this is going to help the whole earth. And it's hard to imagine because they're dealing with financial problems, apostasies, land issues, sicknesses, cholera, you know, all of these things, false accusations, legal problems, where you can't, you can't almost comprehend the reach and the outcome. But we are sitting here in a time where we could say that this is being fulfilled in our very day. We're seeing people ordain in their own language to teach and guide their own people. So for me, I, the way I was thinking about this was sometimes in our lives, we can feel a little bit like those early saints where we are made covenants that come with great promises and we can, sometimes it's hard to see those being fulfilled. Sometimes we're stuck in our jobs and we're in debt or we're doing this and have health issues or family problems, or, you know, relationship issues, whatever. And it could be hard to see, you know, the blessing of someday everyone will hear this in their own tongue, in their own language. It could feel like that's so far out. That's so incredible. I don't know, you know, but it is, you know, kind of how President Uchtdorf says, sometimes the Lord's promises take times, but they're always sure. It's also interesting to me that he mentions in his own tongue and in his own language. And to me, that means it's not just a foreign language. Yeah. That it's also like you'll be taught in terms you can understand. That that the gospel teaching can be tailored to your understanding and to your needs. That it's not just, here's our message. I mean, there was a time when we memorized discussions and it was the same every single time with some variation probably but i mean the general gist was here's what we have to do we're following the little flip chart here's the next picture to look at while we talk about it you know and it was like here's this memorized thing and then preach my gospel came along and it was like hey we're not doing that anymore you need to be able to tailor this to people's needs you need to be able to share the message that they're that they need to hear most when they need to hear it not not say Oh, you want to know about your husband that passed away? And if you'll ever see him again, we'll get to that. Anyway, Joseph Smith had a first vision, you know, and it's like, wait a second. If that's what they want to know, if that's what they want to hear about and learn about, let's go there. Let's talk about the point of salvation. We can get back to the restoration. But, you know, in your own tongue and in your own language, to me, is implying in your own, in the way that you will understand best and in the way that you will internalize the gospel best. Which is awesome. To me, it's like, that's a promise that's not only are we going to spread to every corner of the earth and be able to share the gospel to everyone, but even within our own country, even within our own neighborhoods, it's not necessarily not talking about them. You know, there might be someone down the road that just sees the world differently than you. And the gospel's for them, too, and will be applied to them in their proper way. So that, that to me, is the individualness of the gospel and the way that the Lord sees us as valuable individuals, not just a mass of people. Very important. 
So the the part that stood out to me the most of this entire section was Vienna Jacques. And in verse 28, it says, and, and again, verily I say unto you, it is my will that my handmaid Vienna Jacques should receive money to bear her expenses and go up unto the land of Zion. And the residue of the money shall be consecrated unto me and she shall be rewarded and she be rewarded in mine own due time. And I was like, I've heard of her. I remember vaguely talking about this in seminary, but who is Vienna Jacques and why is she mentioned in here? There's only two women mentioned in all of Doctrine and Covenants, Emma Smith and Vienna Jacques. So obviously she's somebody important. Um, and really she was a single sister that had made a decent living for herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, so much so that she actually had another home in Connecticut. And so she, she was not poor. I don't think she was like overwhelmingly rich, but she was doing pretty well. And um, she came across the missionaries and they taught her and she was um, interested in meeting the prophet and went to Kirtland and, and started meeting with the saints and she was eventually baptized. She moved to Missouri, which is what this is talking about, that she should go to Zion. Um, after this, she went on to Nauvoo, and she actually crossed the plains, drove her wagon to Salt Lake. And she was present when brethren were tarred and feathered and the printing press was destroyed. And she was actually, it says, you know, kneeling in the street trying to collect all the manuscript pages to save them. And was confronted by one of the members of the mob saying, you know, this is only the beginning of the trials that, you're, that we're going to cause for you. And it was a traumatic experience for her that affected her for many years of her life, but it didn't falter her faith. She was called upon, as you can tell in this section, to move to Zion and receive an inheritance from the bishop, meaning that she had consecrated her uh, means to the church and that she was going to be receiving support from the church from then on. And um, a lot of her consecration went towards the building of Zion and especially towards the purchasing of property for the Kirtland or for the temple in Zion. And so it's pretty interesting because later when they started doing baptisms for the dead, she was actually present when the first ones were performed. And she herself eventually performed or participated in 50 baptisms for the dead, including many of her own uh, ancestors. In, in here, she's invited not to be idle, and she definitely wasn't. Uh, it says in the July 1878 issue of the Women's Exponent, she lives entirely alone. This is when she's like in her 90s. She lives entirely alone, does all her own housework, including washing, ironing, and cooking, writes many letters, and does a great deal of reading. Sister Vienna is very familiar with the scriptures. This last spring, she has made 61 pounds of butter and milked her own cow. <laughs> in her 90s. Um, she had, I think she had many reasons to justify leaving or to give up. I mean, she had a good life in Massachusetts, and coming to face all these trials and give up that life and give up her money and, and means to the church for the building of Zion, all of that, you know, then only to face a ton of trials. Like she could have just been like, to heck with this. I'm going back to Massachusetts. My people there will take care of me. I'll just reestablish myself and I'll be fine. Uh, but she never allowed her faith to waver. She never allowed her faith to waver. And she, was really an exemplary member of the church. And I think she lived her entire life without ever being married. And she never even let that become a barrier to her. It wasn't like, oh, I, I'm, I can't be a full member, full participant or whatever in the gospel. She was like, no, you know what? It is what it is. Here I am. 
and I'm going to do the best I can with where I am. And I, I, I don't know. We just, I don't think we talk about her enough. I don't think we know enough about her as an example of someone from that time period that gave up everything, suffered literally the entire journey, basically, of the church, and was faithful all the way till she died at age 96, you know? Uh, just an example of really strong people and strong faith. Yeah, I knew very little about her, and I just learned a bunch. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to talk about verse 15, where it's like for the first presidency. I thought it was interesting, you know, always, you know, the Lord is encouraging learning in all good books, with languages, tongues, and people. And it's funny that this first presidency it doesn't know very much about the world <laughs> or being told to go learn about it. And learn about other people and their languages and things so then maybe verse 11 can come to pass right. you, you know what i mean so again i see how the lord is practical you know that we set in motion the foundation of things to happen long before so he can make those promises if you do this this will happen anyway i thought that was interesting uh verse 91 very short yeah kind of straight to the point I've so read I, a bit of the Apocrypha. You have read a quite a bit of it? Yeah. I've only read like a tiny bit. And it's only been stuff that's been like either in talks or whatever where it's mentioned. And I'm like, what? And I want to go read kind of the context of where that's coming from. But I haven't studied it very much at all. What was interesting, some interesting details that I found. You know, there's the, the Pseudopigrapha. There's the, another one. There's all these weird apocryphal things. There are certain stories where there's additional detail. Like one of my favorite ones is to read the story of Joseph in Egypt. Because instead of being like one page and a half, it's like five pages. And you see in there that Joseph was so faithful. Like there are more examples and details than what it tells you in the scripture. And in that sense, you know, it drives principles you know home. And then there are other things that are kind of like, I don't know that this matters, or I don't know what this is about. But I also can say that about the Bible in general. You know? <laughs> I don't know what this is, you know. Um, there's quite a few things, you know, like the book Songs of Solomon, you know. Yeah. That whole section is like, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, but I think the principle the Lord is saying here is kind of in in verse 4 where he says whoso readeth it let him understand for the spirit manifests truth and whoso is enlightened by the spirit shall obtain benefit therefrom and i would say that that message that principle that whatever the lord just said is applicable when he tells us to go seek learning to go read good books to go study you know learn about people tongues and languages i think if it's done in the right spirit with a firm understanding of the gospel and using you know in sincerity then we gain knowledge you know i i've seen individuals in this sense that the warning for people to stay away from the apocrypha is that there could be wrong things in there that could lead you astray right i think that's true of anything you choose to read out there in the world nowadays and, that, and that's to me why it makes this section applicable to us. 
you know, not very many of us are like, I'm going to grab your profile the other day and start. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to go search this blog, look at this Facebook post, buy this book from the, or borrow a book from the library, or buy a book from the store. It talks about the subject, it talks about psychology, it talks about how to raise a child, it talks about how to, how to develop your inner self, you know. All of that can have great things as long as it's translated correctly, meaning as long as you look at it through, you know, gospel eyes. Yeah, I think it's also saying, like, if you want to read the Apocrypha, understand that there's some things in there that aren't necessarily true. And don't base your testimony of the gospel on all of its contents. But that being said, there's also a lot of really good things in it. So under the guidance of the spirit, you can learn and grow a lot. And I think that that's, like you were saying, that's applicable to a lot of scenarios, not just the Apocrypha, but other texts and other sources as well. When you go out, when you, I remember <laughs> my my dad was the, was the first member of his family to finish college, of his immediate family. And I think that my grandpa was a little bit worried about his son, his youngest son going to college. And he told him when he was going to start, he's like, hey, don't believe everything they tell you. And I, I think what he meant was, you're going to come across stuff that isn't necessarily true. You're going to come across stuff that people will try to say, you know, that's the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of God. And I think, yeah, as long as you go into certain situations knowing that um, there might be some stuff in here that's not doctrine, that's not true but there's still a lot of really good things in here. And then you you approach that with the help of the spirit, you can discern truth from non-truth. And you can still learn and grow a lot from a lot of different sources and a lot of different information. And so it's kind of interesting how this is about, specifically about the Apocrypha, but you know, like you were saying, how do we apply it to our lives? Well, when, when you start to study things, when you wanna learn more about other things that aren't necessarily you know, the canon scripture, make sure that you understand that you're going to have to use discernment and you're going to need help from the spirit to know right from wrong. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.